Hi, this is Dr. Todd Cohen, the modern urologist with Myriad Genetics, here again this week in follow-up with two of my favorite people, Dr. Ed Cohen from Genesis Health Partners in San Diego, and Dr. David Ellis with Midlantic Urology in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. Guys, I want to thank you again for coming back and uh, going to check in with you from last week. How are things going? Hang in there, Todd. It's, it's been a lot of interesting things over the past week, but uh, you know, one of the, the amazing things in all of this is how uh, disconnected and your schedule you get from your schedule. Um, I spent today, you know, not just seeing patients, but seeing a few patients, doing telemedicine patients, dealing with probably tenfold increase in emails with the office management piece. It's very, very um, challenging and demanding. And and I wake up at three in the morning and my brain's going with all the stuff that's happened through the day. So it's interesting. Interesting, not good interesting, though. <laughs> no, it's, well, it's, it is it's, interesting. It's this is David Ellis on this end. You know, a schedule doesn't exist. This does not resemble normal operating times. Um, I find myself in the office, even though I could now telecommute, but the staff needs to see my presence, needs to be reassured, needs to know what's going on. They're starting to get very uncertain about things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sit there and call patients, but it is, a, it is much harder to do a telephone call to a patient than actually see them live. The first three or four minutes is all about the state of the world and making sure people are generally okay and the usual salutations. And then you're diving in, you're trying to dive into their medical care, and they're so grateful to be talking to the to a doctor. They're already bored. They've been locked up at home, and then they don't want to get off the phone either. And then you get behind with your regular patients that you're supposed to call. And on top of that, the tenfold increase in email is right. Texting. I have a couple of different email addresses. It's too much to be able to manage. So you don't have a schedule. You just go from fire to fire to fire and try to make it work. And somehow at the end of the day, you're not done. And that's why we're talking together at, you know, 8.30 at night. <laughs> Let me ask you, Dave, um, or, or Ed, how is it when you talk to the patients and you have to recap every single time what's happening in the world? I mean, to you, by the end of the day, are you sitting there just kind of like, I just don't want to talk about it anymore? <laughs> well, I can tell you that I've gotten a little more efficient at it. Uh, recognizing, you know, you just dig into right to the points that are that might be bothering them, and I just get right into that reassurance phase. Yes, most of my patients are pretty old. They've been around. They've seen world wars or Korea or something, uh, you know, Vietnam. They they get what real crisis can be, uh, and so uh, they're they're more tolerant of it. Uh, than the younger set who hasn't really seen the need for this kind of communal togetherness. Uh, so you kind of get through it and, and, you know, I remind them of all that and they go, yeah, that's right. I don't know what you have to think about that, Ed. Um, you know, it's the uh, same thing. It, it, there's the same couple minutes and it is reassuring to the patient really in your right. They're, they're happy to be talking to somebody. My problem is, is that I just, I can't get into the swing of any one thing because I'm going back and forth between the two. Of patients that are here and patients, you know, because I'm still in my office. It's consuming everything. That is the topic of the day. Yeah. So, Ed, last week you were not really doing telemedicine. So, since you since we spoke with Dave, you know, have you guys ramped it up in the practice? Yeah. No. We 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 turned it on. I've got a great administrative staff. We we kind of put this all together and turned it on in about 48 hours. And um, 
you know, we're seeing a steady increase in, in, in the telemedicine visits. Everyone's, you know, starting working through some of the kinks and, you know, the thing is just to make sure the communication between what you're doing and the billing department is taking place, that the appropriate documentation and consents are being, uh, you know, are being done, though technically it's a question whether or not it, it actually matters or it's, it's being followed, but we want to make sure that we, that we're doing our best to kind of, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's with all the aspects of, of arranging this. So um, it's, it's a new workflow for everybody. It's just, and you know, you introduce a new workflow and it takes weeks and, you know, and months as we've done workflows in the past to get things going, working the right direction. This we had to do in 48 hours. Yeah, it so, doesn't work that, it doesn't work well that way. How do you, you're seeing patients in the office, you're seeing patients of, you know, telemedicine. How do you distinguish really who you say, I need to see you in the office versus I, you stay home and I'll call you. You actually screen that list? Todd, I'll tell you. Um, it, it, I started out thinking just like your question would suggest. Mm -hmm. Now the, the standing order is, we look at my schedule next week. Every single one of those patients is called. Everyone is told they're getting a telephone call. And for the people who say, oh, I've got to see the doctor. Oh, he's got to feel my prostate. Oh, I have a cystoscopy. Well, the couple of procedures that are in there, um, the, the answer is from the secretary, that's okay. The doctor is going to call you at your appointed time with give or take 90 minutes, <laughs> and he will decide if you're coming in or not based on what he learns from your telephone conversation. Uh, and they are all satisfied with that. And there's some people I do come in, but in my office, where I have like seven urologists in this one particular office, we have over 300 patients a day. We're down to 15 or less. We want to reduce foot traffic on purpose. We're trying to keep our staff safe and everyone else safe. We, we don't want to close. We're healthcare, we don't close. But if we get sick, we're closed. So keeping everybody out as best as we can and they were handling it over with the phone. So I used to try to triage them based on their condition. Now everybody gets the call and only the really exceptional ones are coming in. We, we were just looking at acknowledged appointments. Do you know how much you're down in terms of, of, of volume? Uh, I don't know, know it, but my sense of it from, from looking at schedules for about five or six working days now on telehealth is that we are run, we're flying the airplane with about 80% of the seats occupied, maybe 85% of the seats occupied. That's very but good. All of those seats are substantially discounted because it's an office visit and not all the other things that typically go with a regular face-to-face -face visit. It's just the office and the E&M code, but it is pretty good. These patients want the contact. They, they, they want for you. Yeah, it's hard to get them off the phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, key, yeah, the key thing here is, is that we saw a, a 33% drop off immediately. And I think this is the adaptation piece. And I'm wondering if you actually look back the very moment you did it, because there's a, you know, when this all happened with us, it was simply patients were calling saying, I don't want to come in. I don't want to come in. And we kind of, you know, in the transfer over kind of lost a number of patients. And, and again, yeah. the workflow issue. So we dropped a good third um, in terms of patient volume. And I think um, that's the part that we need to work, get back up because the only way we're going to survive is if I can be at 75 to 80% of my normal volume. And I agree with you, it's discounted. There's no procedures. 
you know, forget about the fact that you, you know, how much, how much revenue comes in from elective surgery, because that's not happening. I'm looking at what I predict will be in the next two to four weeks, a 50% cut in, in revenue. Well, you're doing better than I. We saw that same wave of cancellations, and I immediately had to hit the office staff that answers the phones and say, stop, nobody is allowed to cancel. I'm sorry, sir, I understand you want to cancel. We do not want you to come in. However, the doctor will be calling you on your appointment time. He's going to be calling, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're going to be talking to him. And most people go, oh, oh, and I don't have to come in? No, we don't want you to come in. The doctor will be calling you, and it's a great relief. So we were able to stop that wave of cancellations uh, before it got too far along. Yeah, it's true for, for all of us is that the initial response for those who are going to institute it is right. be careful. Yeah, we don't want to, right. yeah, a, bunch of, a bunch of old people coming in to sit with a bunch of old people is probably a, a you know, recipe for disaster. <laughs> No, it's just like they're going to cancel right away. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, you guys, you, you know, you say call. Are you doing FaceTime, Skype, Zoom? What are you doing with the patients? Because a lot of them can do this, but and I know you can do Zoom. You know, FaceTime and Skype are okay now, but are you using that? Or there, there's a very easy program that we're using. I don't know what, David, what you're using. We're using Doxy.me. For 90% of the patients, it works great. Do they have to uh, download it or anything, or is it? No. You sent them, basically, you send them a URL. They click on the URL. It takes them right to the um, a virtual waiting room. You then click on the patient, and you're now start, you've started a call. Okay, so what is this called for our listeners? Doxy, D-O-X-Y dot me. Okay. There are a number of programs out there that can do this. But contrary to Ed, I'm in a slightly privileged situation between the state government, the DHS at Pennsylvania, and our Medicare intermediary, Novitas, uh, have both said in the absence of true um, telehealth technology or telemedicine technology, which requires both audio and visual, a phone call during the emergency will be accepted. So we are just calling everybody, and we have on our radar uh, to use Zoom. I used a couple of face-to-face uh, things with patients, but I found that it was took it was time-consuming. It was hard to get them set up. And unlike Ed in sunny California, where everybody's young and vibrant, in, in Philadelphia suburbs, they're all old and frail, and they don't have a smartphone, let alone a computer, let alone the ability. And so, and the primary goal here is to take care of patients. So the hell with it, you call them, you get them settled down, you get their drugs renewed, you get plans set for in motion, and then you deal with the billing as you deal. But uh, I'm in a different environment than maybe some others because it is clear right now under the state of emergency that we can do phone call only. And we will pick up on real telemedicine as it gets more mature for us. So you're not just doing that because you don't have to get your hair done and put your makeup on every day and go to the office. (laughs) I actually, I'm so adroit at this that I I put a sticky right over the camera lens on my computer just to make sure that I'm not broadcasting (laughs) what I don't mean to be. When staff come in, or patients, or doctors, are they? Do you screen them as they walk in the door? I mean, are you taking everybody's temperature, or where we are, uh, actually, you walk in the building, you're getting your temperature taken, kind of a check-in sheet that asks the obvious questions about fever, cough, travel, 
and uh, you know, basically just say, listen, if, if you have these things, please don't come into the office. Um, and I had a discussion today with a group of doctors about another problem everybody's having about how to cut expenses. That's a different discussion we can have. <laughs> and it was just simply, well, what? We're supposed to be seeing, you know, seeing all our patients. No, if you have a patient that needs you know, something done and they are COVID potentially positive, where, what do you do with them? Do you see them in your office or do you send them to the emergency room and handle it through that? I mean, it's an interesting question, David. What do you, you know? Well, um, to go backwards in order, we haven't yet had to face the, the concept of a COVID positive patient walking into our office, but we're doing everything to keep that person out. And if they are in need, I'm sending them to the ER because that's where the, the facility is for us to handle that person in a proper manner. The office just isn't going to be as well equipped. And for those 15 or fewer patients that are coming in and for every staff member that comes in and every doctor, everybody gets their temperature checked before they get to come into the office itself. One of the MAs is standing outside of the front door with a thermometer watching guard. Um, and the same questions as you had said for Ed, we just don't want, want them in. If a spouse comes along, they sit in the car, same routine. We want as much social separation and reduced foot traffic as possible, but it's going to happen. I'm not quite sure where you are in San Diego in terms of volume for your hospitals, but we're starting to fill up. I know that in New York, um, there, there's a couple of hospitals already that have patients in their ORs on ventilators because they've got nowhere else to put them. So they're on the anesthesia machines on the ventilators in the OR. The Javits Center is being a makeshift uh, ICU, basically. <clears throat> yeah, they're talking. Uh, and, and in my neck of the woods, we don't have that yet, but we can see it starting to ramp up into the hospital. And we're talking about outside of our bricks and mortar in the hospital, the gym at Villanova, the auditorium at the high school, you know, whatever it is, so you can, you can have a place to warehouse these people if you can find the ventilators. But that's another story. We're still probably about two weeks from peaking here. Um, right. And we know we're behind New York, but we all, we all know it's going to come one way or the other. Yeah. Do you guys have a plan just in case, I mean, God forbid one of your doctors gets infected or one of your nurses that happen to have been in the in an office, I know you have multiple offices, both of you guys have multiple offices, because I don't know if you heard, there was a, at least one urology practice where a doctor came down positive and didn't know it until it was late, and they had to close the entire practice down. Oh, I had not heard that. Um, I don't exactly have a plan, but it's going to be the obvious. Um, it, thankfully, there's at least earlier testing. You would think that if there was close contact, everyone's got to be sequestered no matter what, but healthcare personnel are supposed to be privileged in the testing and there's quicker turnaround time now. I'm not quite sure if it's true, but I've heard that there's their turnaround in 24 hours, depending on the test. Um, but you can also test too soon. And if you were exposed and you're a silent carrier, but you really haven't had a chance to react, your, your test is still gonna be negative. So who knows? But I expect that everybody is gonna get it over time. And in a way, I would wish I'd get it and get it over with so I can get back to work. But in the meantime, uh, you know, I'm in that higher risk age group, so I kind of hope not. <laughs> it, it's a tricky one because, you know, it's no longer recommended that just because someone in the office gets it, the office has to close. I mean, if a one-man office, obviously it would. We all wear masks in our office. We, um, you know, if we wipe it down frequently during the day, 
And technically, if someone was to come down with it, it wouldn't close the office until so, you know the next person got symptomatic and got tested. And the same thing, you know, uh, working on 24-hour turnaround time on the test. But uh, the thought has changed a little bit about how to handle the quarantine versus, um, you know, kind of a containment approach. I would, I would comment that, look, if you're sick and you have this, you're going to the hospital. And the hospital is open. Same thing with my office. If someone goes down in the office, the office is still open. We're healthcare. We don't close. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you. It's, 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 a hard, it's a hard line to do because you don't want to be a vector for someplace if it's in there, but you also have to treat people. You know, speaking right. of which, you, you, Dave, you mentioned earlier about occasionally people coming for cystos and things. Are you still doing occasional procedures, yeah. biopsies, anything like that, or what? Yes. We are doing prostate biopsy cystos. Some people need catheter changes. Um, we're still doing that stuff, if you will. Has that slowed down? Have you seen those numbers? Just because you're not getting the referrals now for new people with, say, hematuria or elevated PSAs and things like that. I asked today. Uh, the answer is yes, everything is slowing down. Uh, but we still had uh, three or four calls today from new patients who wanted to be seen. And they may not get seen, but they sure will get heard. <laughs> they got scheduled for televisits. <laughs> yeah. We um, actually, as we speak right now, uh, turned on an email blast or a fax blast, blast actually to all of our referring doctors to the fact that we are open, we are doing telemedicine, we are there for your patients. So if you get this, you know, don't, don't send. The whole goal of this, and you know, Dave keeps alluding to it, and it's very true. Our, we, we are a gatekeeper to the hospital. We need, we need to act as that filter. We need to keep patients from running there for whatever the problem is and urologic problem and manage it the best we can in our office. So we, we, it's important that your community knows that you're open and ready for business and can do these things that normally you didn't. I'll, I'll tell you just a kind of unrelated but interesting story. Uh, we have a Class C surgery center that is under construction. And the governor of Pennsylvania Thursday night last announced that anything that all business is done except if you're life sustaining and that included construction and the next day Friday no one shows up to work on the surgery center and I start getting badgered um, uh, by my staff you got to call the governor we have we have three rooms of surgery center that we could come online in a matter of four or five weeks uh, you know just finish the damn thing and it turns out the government's position on surgery centers was, well, those are purely elective surgeries. And, of course, you and I know as urologists that's not the case. In fact, our, our, our hospital has 12 ORs, 10 are closed, and one is filled with urology patients that have to get done. Uh, you know, all the stones and all the, the stuff that, that needs to be. So I was explaining to them, look, these cases are getting done, and you think they're elective, they're not. You said that they're a drain on PPE. They're getting done anyway. So they may as well be done in a surgery center so you have more beds available in your hospital. And with that, they reversed their position and they said a moratorium on any construction except for healthcare facilities. So it was a small win, but we got back to work. No, that was, that's really mm -hmm. good advice. And also, I think that it keeps people out of the hospital. You know, what do you do for that four centimeter bladder tumor? You know, where if you wait six or eight weeks, that could be an eight centimeter bladder tumor. You're going to turn a guy who's, you know, not going to end up in clot retention afterwards to somebody that may. Or some. We all know 
we all know intuitively what is elective and what isn't. We all know. I want to ask you that. What are you doing with things like prostatectomies and smaller renal masses that are going for, you know, scheduled to have partial nephrectomies where, you know, it's cancer. Is it elective or isn't it? And I know there's lists out and things like that, but, you know, anybody that has cancer that right now, the last list I saw was, yeah, you can you go ahead and do it, but, you know, a two centimeter renal mass? First of all, we have our young whippersnapper, Dr. Wynn is doing all our robotics and, you know, he still has his cases, um, you know, booked, but they're, one, there were cases that were already booked to go. And so you have patients with expectations and, you know, you got anxiety levels, you got a lot of things you're dealing with. So the patient is is willing and we're dealing with cancer. Um, I, I think you, you know, uh, in those cases, you move ahead. Um, if the patient can understand, hey, you know, you're going to, but the problem is we don't know what waiting is, do we? You can't tell them it's going to be two weeks. You can't tell them it's going to be four weeks. You don't know if it's going to be six, eight, 12 or what. We don't know. So no, exactly. I know. And I hate when people ask me, when do you think? I'm like, I don't know. It's not, you know, no one's telling me. But sure. uh, And my, my surgery scheduler is fearful of putting a bunch of cases on in May because that we have to schedule right now because she's unsure that the ones in April are going to go and then they got to get done. So how do you plan that out? But it, there's lots of interesting things. I got woken up two nights ago from a frantic wife, wouldn't even let me speak to the patient, her husband, young guy throwing up horrible kidney stone, 1.2 centimeters at his UVJ, and he can't stand it. And he was already on the schedule to go to the OR in a couple of days. I said, you got to go to the hospital. He's throwing up. He's got horrible pain. He said, you got to go. You don't have any choice. But what about the coronavirus? I said, forget the coronavirus. I said, there's hundreds of working people there who are there all day long, just like you. You know, the virus people, find you got to go. So they go, and of course, silly me, because I never did get a chance to talk to the actual patient, turns out the guy had never taken his narcotics. <laughs> so, you know, so he goes to the ER, he's in there for four hours, and they send him home because he got his pain under control. You know, so it does swing a couple of different directions. I got, I got sucked into the, you know, over-exuberant, anxious wife thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, from last week, I got a bunch of questions, most of which you guys answered, but the biggest question I got from the most amount of people was, have you guys sequestered enough matzah and gefilte fish just in case this thing goes through Passover? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, listen, my, my listeners want to know. This is really important stuff, guys. Todd, I've learned because I got a wonderful text from a friend that everyone should be hoarding matzah because it lasts forever and it causes such constipation you don't need toilet paper. There you go. <laughs> I have one last question I want to ask. When this is all done and the lights come back on and everything returns to whatever semblance of normal, you know, the zombie apocalypse is gone, how is your, is your practice going to change? You know, it's an interesting thing, Todd. I am, um, this is an opportunity for our leadership on the Hill and do everything, you know, to, to, to realize that telemedicine might needs to be a, an adjunct to the, how we take care of patients period. And the rules that they put in place are, are arbitrary and they're not, 
They're not beneficial, especially to our elderly population, especially to the shortage of urologists we have in this country. We need Medicare and our private insurers to, to look at this experiment as difficult and, and horrific as it's been, but to look at what we've accomplished with it and say, you know what? This is not a bad way for us to move forward with specialties that are impacted in areas that are difficult to get access to and a patient population where um, it's sometimes very difficult to get them into their doctor. So I'm hoping that, that things might change. Ed, you're much more eloquent than I have. There's no question in my mind the government is going to be stuck with having to accept telemedicine now. The patients view it as a convenience. They don't have to drive and wait in a waiting room and all the rest of that. Um, and it is a level of care uh, that makes sense for a number of patients. It just does. Uh, but my staff, you know, as we, we didn't really talk about it, but as the finances go down, uh, ultimately there's going to have to be layoffs. We're, we're subject to the economy just like every other business. Uh, and will all that staff be back? Who really knows? Um, is this an opportunity for you to get a fresh start and hire new blood? Who really knows? Um, for me, um, you know, it, it, it's a, an odd, interesting circumstance that requires some real thought. How are you going to do this going forward? Uh, but there's no question there's too few of us. There's too many of them in terms of patients. And the insurance companies continue, unfortunately, to stand in the way of what we all know to be good care. Um, and hopefully the policymakers will wake up. And, you know, I, I know out in Oregon, we all, know, we all know the practice in Oregon, they don't have telehealth except with audiovisual. And they have my kind of patients that can't do computers. They, can, they can't happen. And so as best as they can do is get paid something like $13 for a telephone check-in. Um, that doesn't sustain their practice. And so if the government doesn't wise up to the fact that there's not enough of us and there's too many of them, if we're not going to wind up having a revenue to support a practice, the practice won't exist. So I do think that there's this will be an impetus for positive change. But two or three years down the road, I worry about the mega inflation we're all going to see because mm. of all the, all the government debt going into the market so quickly. But yeah. and that's another story. And what you're talking about, I guess, is the that necessity is the mother of invention. That's what we've, we've come to here with yeah. this telemedicine thing. Listen, guys, I want to thank you so much. If you're nice to me, I'll actually invite you back next week, and I want to get, you know, round three, if you don't mind. But I'll, I'll, we'll check in. Yeah, I think one of the things we should talk about, too, is what are we doing about I'd like to hear what Dave's doing with the economics. I, um, I'm trying not to let people go. I'm trying. I am negotiating with, uh, with landlords, with banks, with everything else to, you know, uh, obviously suppliers, everything I can to deal with the, what is now the other problem we have, which is the, the significant financial hit. And Ed, let's not forget you're doing that while you're still calling patients on the phone and you're still trying to see patients in the office and you're still trying to quell the anxiety of the staff. Yeah, that's why your day is a little bit different than it used to be. And you're also <laughs> trying to get your, your partners who you guys are in charge of to understand that You've got to pay the staff and the landlords and the water bill and the lights before they take their salaries. And they don't like that. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, I want to thank you again. And uh, best of luck to you. Stay safe. Be healthy. And uh, my best to your families and all. Take care.